We're going to go straight into our, uh, our text today. Sorry. I was trying to catch you before you sat. I tried. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. And if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it up. We're going to be looking at verses 35 through 45. And looking a little bit at, at uh, Mark chapter 9, too. So if you have your Bible, you can flip around. You can see what we're looking at. So this is God's word to us this morning. I'm going to... We're going to read the part that's on the screen together, and then I'll finish up the section. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand, and the other at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized, but... To sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But... Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Fathers, we listen as, we, as we're praying, as we're singing, as we're listening to Scripture read, and as we're going to talk through this particular text. We need for your Spirit to be our guide that you would open up our, our hearts, our minds, our very being, that we might hear the things that you want us to hear. Some of us, some of us are believing the things that we're talking about today. Some of us are questioning. Some of us may not believe any of this, but for some reason, we're here. But you are the one who draws us. So wherever it is that we may be right now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do the work that only you can do, which is change, convert, transform. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now you may be seated. So we're in this series talking about our mission statement, which is the gospel transforms everything. So we're talking about transformation. And today, here's my question. What is leadership? You don't have to answer this. This is rhetorical. I've already had some conversations with people this week about this. What is leadership? When you think about leadership, what is it? There's so many different ways to talk about it. There's so many great resources out there for how to be a good leader. Uh, and those are great. Those are wonderful things. But I want to ask the question, what does it mean for the gospel to transform whatever a leader is? That's what we, because I'm not going to stand up here and give you a great lecture on what a great leader is. I want to I look at what this text has to say, what Jesus has to say about maybe what 
leadership is. So we get to these two guys, James and John, and really all of them, and they're trying to figure out who's going to be the greatest, who's going to rule on Jesus' left and his right. And this isn't the first time they've had this conversation. So if you're looking at your Bible back in chapter 9, starting in verse 33, it says, and they came to Capernaum. So this is, this is Jesus and his, and his people, his, his group. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, hey, what were you guys discussing on the way? But <laughs> they kept silent, for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And they were a little embarrassed to say something to Jesus about that's what they were talking about. Then we get to this text that we just read, and we come to the end of it, and Jesus says what leadership is about, or maybe just what life is about. Because he doesn't use the term leadership, but he's talking about life. And he says, what is life all about? And what does he say? How does he conclude it? It's about service. That's what he says. So how does Jesus in this gospel transform our understanding of leadership? We're going to look at this big idea and try to unpack it. And it's this, the gospel transforms leadership as we follow Jesus' service. So the gospel transforms whatever leadership is as we follow Jesus' service. How does this happen? What does this look like? I want to look at three things that Jesus talks about. We're going we're to categorize it like this. We're going to look at how he deconstructs, how he reconstructs, and how he ransoms. So how he deconstructs our pursuit to lead, how he reconstructs his way to serve, and then how he ransoms us by his service. So we're going to just look at how he talks about these things. James, James and John come to Jesus, and they're asking Jesus to do something for them. And Jesus is so gracious in his response. He says, what do you, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? And he gives them the space to share what they want and what they're thinking. And at the same time, this exposes not just how they view leadership, but I think it gives some insight into maybe our perspective, into the way that oftentimes when you hear leadership talked about, you'll hear these echoes. And Jesus is exposing this, these things. What is that? What is it? Well, it's, it's what, we're, what we're pursuing. Uh, verse 37, it says, let us, let, let us sit at your right hand and your left in your glory. That's what they say to Jesus. That's what they want from him. What is, what is that? What's being exposed here? When they say that, what, is, what are they exposing in their very words? They're exposing our pursuit of position. It's a pursuit of position. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup and be baptized with the baptism I'm going to undergo? And what do you think they, what do you think he's asking them? Like, like how, how are they processing what he is asking? And it's, it's a little hard to know, um, but maybe it's something along the lines, maybe they're hearing, hey, Maybe they, maybe they hear Jesus saying, can you, handle, can you handle the pressure and the responsibility of that position? Maybe that's what they hear. It's, it's a little uncertain. So, so for us, how often is our pursuit of leadership really a pursuit of position? 
what is that? Well, I mean, I don't know. It could be lots of things. To get above others? Like, I don't want to be on the bottom anymore. Position of being above. Or, or to gain an identity that makes, makes us feel more valuable, right? The higher the position, the more valuable you feel. I have not had this on my ear the whole time. No wonder it's... I bet I was driving you crazy, wasn't I? I am so sorry. Do I need to start over? Did you hear anything I said? Okay. <laughs> okay, let's pray again. Let's start. Uh, I'm just kidding. Okay. That's much better. I'm like, why is it so crazy? Get, get your job. Get your act together. Uh, that was me. <laughs> okay, so pursuit of position. Second thing. But also here, they're asking uh, for this position when? When do they want the position? When he enters his glory. Once he has gained the victory, taken his position, they want to share in the glory. That's, that's how they term it. That's how they talk about it. What is often the pursuit of leadership? What does it often entail? Glory. I mean, what is glory? Well, to share in the success of something, right? To share in the victory. The, the, I mean, glory can be riches, it can be wealth, maybe fame, reputation, recognition. Those are all like glory things. I mean, we don't use the term glory a whole lot, but we get the idea. It's these kind of things. How often is our pursuit of leadership a pursuit, a, a pursuit of position and glory? We're getting exposed here. Then the third thing that he exposes, this gets down to verse 42. After Jesus calls them all together, he says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over them. And their great ones, they, what do they do? They exercise authority over them. It's not going to be that way with you. It's not that way. Here he's explaining the way of uh, the Gentiles, which is just the, way, the common way of the world, you could say. We, we tend to think of leading and ruling in what way? We think of it as mastery. Uh, of having power and authority over others, right? I mean, what do you as a leader? You have authority over others. When pursuing leadership, we are looking for power and authority in life, maybe power and authority over other people, right? Is there something to this? Um, is, uh, is the good of being a leader that you no longer have to, to do the grunt work? <laughs> I mean, really, come on. Why do you want to climb the ladder, right? Because you want to gain some authority. So you aren't the one sweeping the floor and scrubbing the toilets anymore, right? I mean, isn't that often why we want leadership? Because we don't want to do that stuff anymore. So let's examine ourselves. Why might we be after position, glory, power? Why maybe in certain areas of our life, why are we actually pursuing leadership? I think it depends on the person, right? It could be control, it could be comfort, it could be honor. And some, some may say, because I'm thinking about particular people, I don't want to rule others. Like, this doesn't apply to me. I have zero desire to rule over others. <laughs> um, I, just, I just don't want to be dependent on them. Okay, that, that might be your approach. I don't want to rule them, I just don't want to be dependent on them. So maybe you want power over others, but maybe you just don't want others to have power over you. Or you just don't want to be bothered by others. So there's different like external reasons 
which each of us might be, reasons why each of us might be pursuing some kind of like position, glory, and power, control, and comfort, and honor. We need to examine ourselves and let him expose what are the things in our life. What might be the reasons that we are pursuing this? And then, how does it affect others? Like, what's the effect of this kind of pursuit? How do others respond just in this account? I mean, there's lots of ways we could talk about it, but just right here, if you look at verse 41, it says, And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. What is that? Angry? It's anger. So the same word is used back in verse 13 of chapter 10, and it says this, And when they were bringing children to him, bringing children to Jesus, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them, don't bring those children to me. I mean, don't bring those children to Jesus. That's what they're saying to the parents of these kids. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Same word. He was angry. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. What is this kind of pursuit of position and glory and power? What does it do to you and the people around you? It produces a, a fracture in relationships. It produces conflict, even separation between you and the people you're supposed to be living with. It creates a hierarchy. It can create a caste system. Jesus, it, it, back in that same section, 13 through 14 of, of Mark 10, sees the disciples trying to keep people from bringing children to him as if the children were not high enough on the chain of command or the position or the power or the glory to be near to Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He elevates them, the ones that everybody else said, man, you don't have time for that. They're too low on the totem pole. What does Jesus say? He says, he elevates them, let the children come to me, don't hinder them, for to such belong the, belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, they can't even enter it. They can't, if you're not like this, you can't even come near to me. And he took, what did he do with them? He took them in his arms and he blessed them. He laid his hands on them. He anointed them. Jesus turns everything upside down. He challenges our perspective of leadership saying the kingdom belongs to people who are like children. His way of being and ruling or leading is in direct conflict to the normal way of the world. The least of these in society have access to the highest. Think about that. I mean, that's what that, that example is showing us. It, they have access to the king. How much more so for those of us who serve the king should we be like inviting the least of these? So often the, the way we pursue leadership does the exact opposite of Jesus' intent. Rather than bringing people together and caring for the least, so often when we're pursuing leadership, it brings division He exposes our perspective. And we each got to think through. And some, some of you may have already thought through this. So maybe this is just a, a refresher. Some, maybe this is fresh for all of us. Hopefully the Spirit can use this to, to maybe unmask some things, expose some of our perspectives. 
Maybe we need some deconstruction of our ideas about leadership and the pursuit to lead. But he doesn't leave us in a deconstructed state. He reconstructs his way to serve. Okay, so we got to go there. How does he reconstruct? What does he do? Well, I'll throw it out there and then we're going to talk through. He listens, he prepares, and then he puts others first. Those are basically what he does. Um, he listens to those he's leading. So this is, this is an interesting one for me. His close friends apparently have a relationship that makes them think they can say something like this. Right, listen, listen to what they say. Hey, we want you to do f- this for us. These guys just came to Jesus and said, hey, we want you to do this for us. That in, and of, that, that in itself is it's actually a little disturbing to me. I, I don't like that. I really don't like that. Why was Jesus not more clear to them about the authority structure? Like, I'm like, Jesus, come on, man, make, make, the, make the authority structure clearer here. They weren't confused about who was officially to be king, all right? They, they got that, but for some reason, they thought they were close enough to command a position from him. They actually thought they could, they asked this because they thought they could ask this. What does this say about the way Jesus leads? This makes me, really, it makes me a little uncomfortable, but this is one thing that it says. It says this, it, the way he leads, give, leads gives people a voice. That's how he leads. He gives people a voice. Jesus' way of leading even giving, gave the children who in that society should have had no access to the leader or to a king. He let them sit in his lap. <laughs> Jesus' way of serving is listening and it's giving access to those who humbly follow. And then he asks, can you drink my cup? Can you be baptized with my baptism? Now, as as time goes on, they and we realize that they really have no clue what they're asking. Uh, His cup and his baptism was not what they thought that it was going to be, right? They were asking something. They didn't really know what they were asking for. Uh, He had to do this one alone, okay? The cup he was going to drink, the baptism he was going to undergo, he had to do it alone. What, what was the cup and the baptism? Not rhetorical. What was that going to be? Death, okay? It's death. Who, who would end up sitting at his right hand and his left when he was lifted up in glory? Yeah, so this is Mark 15. We get to this later. And when they crucified Jesus... Um, and, when, and with him, they crucified two robbers, and it says, one on his right, one on his left. Like, Mark is wanting us to think about that. That's who gets to sit next to Jesus when he has to go be baptized and be exalted and drink the cup. Though they could not share in this, okay, this was a job only Jesus could do. They couldn't share in this in that time. They, too, would share in a similar kind of cup and baptism. Jesus says that that's what's going to happen. Once they understood what this meant, which was the exact opposite of what they currently thought, okay? It, they were going to, not what G- Jesus alone could do that work, right? But he says, okay, you are going to experience something similar. So some of us are reading a book by Paul Tripp called Lead, and he, he says this, this is in chapter 7, he says, um, 
There simply is no such thing as a call to ministry leadership that isn't also a call to a life of servanthood. And there is no such thing as a call to servanthood that isn't a call to suffer. There's no leadership without suffering, according to Jesus. There's no leadership without suffering. So in this, what does he do? Why do we bring this to the... Well, he's listening, yes, but he's also preparing. I mean, I think reconstructing his way of service requires us, yes, to be listeners, but also to be preparing one another for what is going to lie ahead. Because, yes, there's beautiful things that we get to experience, but also there's going to be hardship, and there is suffering that goes with this. He's preparing them for what's to come, not only in his life, but in their life. He is reconstructing for them his way of service, which is his way of leading. He's preparing them for this. Okay, which then he zeroes in on this way of, of, of leading in verse 43 and 44. He says, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever will be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. He deconstructs to show his better way, which is not to be great, but to be the servant. His better way is not to be great, but to be a servant. To genuinely count greatness, to genuinely count whatever it means to be first, whatever it is that you're pursuing, as being a slave of all, the servant of all. This is what he says is the way. His reconstruction of our understanding of leading and being, just being, is serving, which is what? It's putting others first. I mean, that's what he's doing. That's what he's saying. You're putting others first. He says, this is what I came to do, not to gather servants, not slaves to serve me. I didn't come to gather a bunch of people to be my slaves to serve me, but to gather people that I can serve. This is the one who we say is the creator who took on flesh and dwelt among us. How does this change our perspective? This is the, this is the reality of God. How does this change our perspective? Shape our view of living in the world and in community and leading, whatever, whatever leading actually is. Can we... So, so some of you know I've been wrestling with this term for months actually for years, but I've been talking about with it with some of you. Like this term of lead, can we even use it when the connotation in much of society is climb the ladder of position and glory and power, advancing upward in your company or your industry, higher salary, greater reputation, more success. So, so often that's what, how it's talked about. Can we even use the same term? Like, are any of those things wrong? Is it, is it wrong to make more money and to, and to gain a higher position in your company? Is there anything wrong with that? Probably afraid to answer that, right? I don't know. I don't, I, don't I don't think that's a problem. But are they what we're supposed to pursue? Is there a difference between a fruit and a pursuit? Right? Like, wh- how did you say it? You said it the other day. I can't remember exactly how you said it. Oh, sorry, I'm putting you on the spot, too. It was a result of, it wasn't the, the thing that you were actually going after. Like, there's a, there's a real difference, isn't there, between a fruit and a pursuit. Jesus turns everything upside down. 
He's been doing it all along, healing and associating with the least in society, saying things like, children, come to me. Or it's hard to, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He's been saying things like this all along. These are upside-down concepts. Jesus deconstructs our pursuit of leadership to reconstruct his way of service. Jesus does have followers, so I guess in that sense... We, you got to call him a, a leader, right? People are following, therefore he's leading. But his leading stands in such contrast to the normal pursuit of leading. Why was he so different? I mean, without because he's the son of God, right? I mean, that's oh, yes, that's true. But like, like tangibly, as as the man walking on earth, why was his way so different? One, okay, I think this is absolutely essential. He already possessed all of this. He wasn't trying to pursue position, glory, and power. He didn't have to pursue it. He had it, right? And then also, it looks more like he came to give that stuff away. Looks like he came to to give away position, glory, and power. Maybe better yet, to use position, glory, and power for a greater purpose, not for his himself, but for those that he came to serve. All right, how does this help us serve and lead like him when we are not like him? Okay, good for you, like Jesus, great, but I have to fight for what I get, right? I mean, isn't that how you feel? I gotta, I gotta fight for what I get, I mean, that's, that's, that's how, what, what so often runs around in our head. Yeah, 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 I see Jesus is like that, but man, I've got to fight. How can we not pursue position, glory, and power? Isn't there something in us that innately, that we're innately designed for this? And I would say, okay, let's, let's be honest about that. How are we made? Well, you know, you go back to Genesis chapter 1 again. We're made in his image. What is that? You have a position. I mean, that's how we were made. We were made for a grand position and to be blessed, making us, he made us fruitful to multiply. What is that? That's glory. That's abundance. That's, that's growth and that's wealth. Part of something big and successful and beautiful. We were, we were made for glory. And then to have, he literally says, have dominion and rule. What is that? That is authority and that's power. I mean, we were made for this, weren't we? Okay, so, so this desire, let's, let's back up and say, okay, there's something to this. All of this was our original design, but it was not a pursuit. It was a gift. It was a way of being that was for the good of the world, a way that we could serve as we had been served. That's how we were designed. God did all of that for us so that we could be his image bearers to do that for the world. Why did God do that to us? To serve us, to love us. How, why are we supposed to do those things? To serve the world, to, to give this stuff away. But as we turned away from God and then we turned these gifts of service what did we do? We turned the gifts of service into pursuits for self-gain. That's where something, something broke, something horribly broke in us. In this state, it's almost as if we can't help but pursue these things. It, it twists us from serving others to serving ourselves, or better yet, getting others to serve us. We are enslaved to enslaving others. 
Fran and I were uh, in Charleston, South Carolina this past week, and we did a tour of, like, I don't, I don't know if it was a famous house, but it was, a, it was an old house, and it had been built by rich people way back in the day, and it had gotten transferred over to others, and they had a whole extra living quarters for all the slaves. And the way of success in the South was that you had servants and literal slaves that showed your elevated position. That is the way of the broken world. The only way to have our leadership deconstructed, exposed, and our lives reconstructed to serve is if somehow we are free from the pursuit. How are we honestly freed from this? (laughs) You're made for it. How are we going to be freed from the pursuit? By following Jesus' service. Okay, meaning what? It's not just following his example. It's, It's following in the sense of accepting his service for you. This is how things change. This way of leading is not just telling us to serve it's serving us. His, his way isn't just telling us. Is he telling us to serve? Sure he is. He's telling us to serve because that's what he's doing for us. It's not just telling us what to do. It's him doing what he tells us. This is how he makes us a new kind of people. This is his way. How can you ever get to a place where you honestly believe the best way to live and lead is to willfully be a slave of all? How do you get there? It shall not be so among you, he said, but whoever would be great among you must be your slave, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You have to see, this is is, is, uh, insane truth of the gospel you have to see and experience that the son of man the son of god jesus came not to get you to serve him but actually he came to serve you if that doesn't pierce you if it doesn't get you you can't get over your pursuit this this is what the supreme king has done for you this is what he's offering to you now right now and the way he did it was not just doing our bidding. He didn't come to be, like we get twisted, like the idea of serving. He didn't come to be your genie. He didn't come to be my genie. But he came to do what I most needed. He came to do what you most needed, standing in the gap. He used his position and his glory and his power to do what? To give his life as a ransom for many. He was the ultimate service. He was the ultimate sacrifice that was necessary to restore us to God and then restore us back to our true design, restore us back to our true humanity, to our true position, glory, and power. And by accepting him, believing, if you're not, he invites you, come to me. If you're weary and heavy laden of your pursuit, he says, come, come, He says, come to me. 
you can trust Christ's service, we are freed from having to constantly pursue leadership and from making a place and a name for ourselves. He wants you free from pursuing leadership. Why? Because he ransoms us. He, he releases us from the slavery of enslaving others. He wants to set you free from enslaving others. Because enslaving others, you, were in, you are a slave. He delivers us from this lost identity of striving for a position to what? To being adopted into a position as a child of God. It's a gift. You don't pursue it. You accept it. A new position. Who inherits his blessings, his riches, his glory, both life now and forevermore. He, he wants to give you glory. And in some way, he shares his authority. <laughs> like, I'm still trying to get that. But there's something about he shares his, his power even to rule. And this power is one that frees us to live as he lived. How did he exercise power, right? Not to gain life, but to give life away because it's already been gained and given to you. You don't have to pursue it anymore. He wants to give it to you so you can give it away, and he's going to keep giving it to us. In Christ, our life is already secured. Our position, our power, our glory, it's guaranteed. Man, if I could get this through my thick skull and my thick heart, life would be radically transformed. Lord, help us believe that you have actually guaranteed this, that he's kept it's secured in Jesus, never to be taken away. There's nothing, there's nothing, in Christ, you can't lose it. It's been, a, it's given to you, you can't lose it. So that even if it looks abysmal right now, and I'm thinking about this with our, um, I've talked about, we've got friends that are in Ukraine because we used to live there, and we get updates from them regularly, and they're talking about that, the war, the bombs that are dropping. And yet, these believers have this Yes, it's hard, it's horribly difficult, and yet there's this peace. Why? Because even in the most abysmal place, you have a security in Jesus that he has ransomed you now and forevermore. And no war can ever take that away from you. Because he's entered the war in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, he has come out of it, and he promises not only to be with us now, but he will restore us completely on a future day. Now, independence on him. If this is true, and we keep drinking this, and we keep eating and drinking this, right? We keep doing this. Independence on him, following him, trusting his service for us. His, his service for us. It's not our service for him. That's not your salvation. Your salvation is his service for you. We depend on that we can really begin to lead because we're free from pursuing leadership to just serving. Father, there's so much for us to process when it comes to what um, you have spoken through your Son. Lord Jesus, you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the supreme authority. And you've exercised that authority, your power, your position, your glory, so that you can give life away. Lord, please allow your spirit to blow through our hearts and our minds and to change 
our thinking to, to deconstruct our false understandings of what life and leadership is about and to reconstruct it based on who you are as the king and the one who has accomplished all for us. We ask this in your name. Amen.